Welcome to a new episode of Pulp Today. Mm. Good time as any for a white Russian while I uh, read you today's uh, today's thing. So a few weeks ago, uh, I did my first episode that was about a novelization, and it was Beneath the Planet of the Apes by my dad, Michael Avaloni. And today we've got more novelization and more monkey. King Kong, my copy of the novelization is in such good shape that I can just take the cover off and show it to you. It's a Frank Frazetta painting for the 1970s reprint of the 1930s uh, novelization. This is a sneaky way to talk about one of my favorite movies. It's a thing that inspired me uh, to be a filmmaker when I was five, I believe. It was on WOR in New York for the first time. Uh, it was on every day for a week. That's how exciting, excited they were that they had King Kong. And uh, I think I watched it all five times. And then it was on every Thanksgiving, weirdly. Thanksgiving in New York was Godzilla King Kong Day. I, I don't. I feel like it was God, King Kong Day on Thursday. You got Kong, Son of Kong, and Mighty Joe Young, which is cheating a little. And then on Friday, you got Godzilla Kong versus Godzilla and your various Mothras and Rodans and etc. Anyway, enough about Thanksgiving rituals of the 1970s. The book is written by a man named Delos Loveless, who did his only novelization. He mostly did nonfiction books. Scripts by, I mean, there are a bunch of names on the script, but I think the most significant one, the final rewrite, was done by Ruth Rose, who was married to Ernst Chodzak, one of the two directors, Cooper and Chodzak. And uh, Cooper was, they, they were both kind of Indiana Jones guys who mostly made documentary films uh, up till King Kong. And uh, I've always loved when you can find traces of autobiography in the strangest places, especially in fantasy and science fiction stories. Ruth Rose was frequently the only woman on a tramp freighter going all over the world with a bunch of sailors and filmmakers. And Anne Darrow, the heroine of King Kong, has that very same experience. And I've always kind of loved that the first act of the movie is very much a thing from Ruth Rose's personal human experience. And I think that gives it a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of love and joy and realism and all of that, even in these contexts. But the most important character in King Kong for me, and I think for a lot of young filmmakers that see this movie, or at least used to, is that Carl Denham's a filmmaker, guy really excited to make his next movie, guy really enthusiastic about the idea of filmmaking. And uh, it's a huge influence on me, not just that Kong is a entertaining blockbuster film, but it's about the joy of filmmaking in its own way. And I think seeing Carl Denham as a kid I was like, I, I want to grow up to be that guy. I don't want to grow up to be the two-fisted adventure guy. He's kind of a stiff. But the his his buddy, the filmmaker, that guy's really interesting. Uh, and he seems to really love what he does. So this is my sneaky way, again, to talk about a movie I love when I'm supposed to be talking about paperback books. The book was never copyrighted. And if you go to the Wikipedia page for King Kong and read intellectual property issues, I can't remember what the 
subheading is called. It is the most complicated copyright in the world, I think. Uh, Peter Pan might come close, but uh, King Kong is a, there's a sliver of it they sold to Toho to make the Godzilla King Kong movies. There's Cooper thought he owned it because he had come up with the character. Or Shozak thought he owned it because he came up with the character, but RKO thought they owned it, so they licensed it. It's very complicated, all because of, partially because they forgot to cover the novelization. But I'm going to read my favorite scene, which isn't airplanes on top of the Empire State Building. I know you're disappointed. The setup is that Carl Denham, famous filmmaker, uh, needs a female lead for his next movie. Uh, because people don't want to see his documentaries unless they have, uh, he says, unless there's a flapper in it. Uh, it is, after all, 1933. And uh, no theatrical agent will help him hire an actress because the whole thing is too dangerous and he's going to the South Seas and he won't say where and he won't say for how long. And it's too unsafe. It's the Great Depression. And Carl goes out to Times Square to find an actress on the street. And he sees the most beautiful girl in the world stealing an apple, and he helps her out. He takes her to breakfast, and we pick up with Carl kind of watching her eat breakfast, and he hasn't told her anything yet. It was more than a beautiful face, although it was beautiful, with the well-molded, clearly defined features in which his cameraman's eye had immediately rejoiced. Large eyes of incredible blueness looked out at him from shadowing lashes. The ripe mouth had passion and humor. The lifted chin had courage. Her skin was transparently white, and not, Denham decided, because she was so plainly undernourished. That marvelous kind of skin belongs with the kind of hair which foamed up beneath her shabby hat. This was pure gold. If Denham had been poetical, which he was not, he might have pictured it spun out of sunlight. Facing his intent, gratified stare, she smiled. I'm a different Ann Darrow now, she said. Feeling better, huh? Yes, thank you. You've been wonderfully kind. Don't give me too much credit, Denham said bluntly. I'm not spending my time and money on you just out of kindness. All the humor and most of the smile faded out of Ann's face. She shivered a little. Denham ignored her reaction. How come you're in this fix? Bad luck, I guess. There are lots of girls just like me. Not a lot with your looks. Oh, I can get by in good clothes, perhaps. Fear was still in Anne's smile. But when a girl gets too shabby... Any family? I'm supposed to have an uncle somewhere. Ever do any acting? A few extra jobs in the moving picture studio over at Fort Lee. Once I got a real part. Studio's closed down now. He hazarded one more question. Are you the sort of city gal who screams at a mouse and faints at a snake? I'm a country gal. I wouldn't exactly choose to pet a mouse, but I killed a snake once. Denham squared his shoulders again in an even plainer triumph and stood up. Listen, sister, I got a job for you. Anne stood up too, meeting Denham's gaze, returned it steadily, and waited. When you're fed up and rested and all rigged out, you'll be just the type I want. When, when does the job start? Now, this minute. And the first thing you do is get some new clothes. Come on, we ought to find the Broadway shops that are still open. But, but what is the job? It's money and adventure and fame. It's the thrill of a lifetime and a long sea voyage that starts at six o'clock come morning. Anne sat down again and soberly shook her head. 
There was no fear in her face now. Instead, there was a good-humored tolerance, which she seemed able to call up easily from long practice. No. I'm sorry, but I can't. I, I do want a job, so I was starving, but I can't. What? cried Denham and stared at her in amazement. Then he laughed and reached for the cigarette he hadn't remembered to smoke since arriving at the restaurant. Oh, I see. Nope, sister, no, you got me all wrong. This is strictly business. Well, said Anne apologetically, I didn't want any any misunderstanding. Sure, sure you didn't. It's all my fault for getting excited and not explaining. So here's your explanation. I'm Denham. Ever hear of me? Yes. Yes, you make moving pictures in jungles and places. That's me. And I've picked you for the lead in my next picture. We sail at six. Where to? I daren't tell you that for a while, Anne. It's a long way from here. And before we reach it, there'll be a long voyage, easy living, the warm blue sea, soft moonlight on the water. Think, Anne. No matter what comes at the finish, isn't that better than tramping New York, afraid every night the next morning we'll find you in the gutter? No matter what comes at the finish, Anne whispered, it is better. I'm square, Anne, Denham added, and I'll be square with you. No funny business. You can't tell me yet what I'm to do? Just keep your chin up and trust me, Denham told her and held out his hand. Anne looked at him for a long, direct moment. Denham looked back at her. He was always lucky, he reminded himself, his grateful gaze sliding again over her bright hair, her perfect face, her graceful, well-proportioned figure. When his eyes came back to hers, Anne put her hand in his with a grave smile. So why do I love that scene? I like the, well, it's the enthusiasm of Carl Denham. I think, <laughs> I think I will never get tired of, it's money and adventure and fame. It's the thrill of a lifetime and a long sea voyage. It starts at six o'clock tomorrow morning. I mean, how can you, that pitch, it kills me. And I like that the movie is aware of how creepy, I mean, and the book is certainly aware of how creepy that offer could sound. Uh, and that Anne has every right to initially be like, mm, this is the shakiest thing in the world. And, you know, the movie, to a degree, is about Denim's heroic flaw, which is that he charges ahead without thinking of things, and he drags this nice girl into incredible danger. The book is an interesting curio. I would recommend reading it. One of the things that's interesting about it is when uh, when Peter Jackson rebooted the movie, he, uh, he, he did a thing where they re-released the original and they recreated a cut scene from the movie. And he, the, the video on the DVD goes into great lengths about how painstakingly they reconstructed the scene from the original movie using notes and scraps of paper and clues. Every word of the scene is in this book, so I don't know if they just didn't bother to read it or if he's trying to make it more dramatic than it was. But that's a it's a rare novelization. I don't know that so many movies were novelized in the 1930s, but Kong was a giant phenomenon. It was the Star Wars of its day. Uh, there were bread lines, and people were still lined up around the block to see this movie. It has echoed with me my entire life since I was five years old. Uh, and I still, bearing in mind the important lesson of Carl Denham, which is don't, don't get ahead of yourself uh, and don't endanger your colleagues, I still 
try to bring that enthusiasm to the stuff I work on. And that's, that's what I took away from it, even more than monkeys on top of buildings, which is amazing and wild stuff. But anyway, King Kong, the novelization, I've owned it long enough that the cover came off, so maybe it's time to get a new one from eBay. Have a lovely rest of your week or whenever you're watching this. Hmm. And I'll be back with another exciting adventure. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.